Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 95, Offer Your Whole Soul. Hi, friends! Crazy that it is March already, and conference is a month away. I had an opportunity this week to attend a small study group with some of the ladies in my ward. This was their third week of doing it, but my first week of attending. And they've been studying the Joseph Smith history. They had already completed studying his first vision, and they were last night studying the visitation of Moroni. And I just thought I would share that idea with you. That this last month as you're preparing for conference, and if you need a little pep in that preparation, include your friends or the other sisters in your ward. Because it was so great to sit amongst like pretty incredible women and listen to what they had to say and what they had tuned into and just really enjoy the wisdom of women who have led a life accompanied by the Spirit and just the knowledge and life experience that they had gained and that they were applying and inputting into the scriptures. Okay, how many of you have accepted my invitation to go to sisterscriptorians.com and become a Sister Scriptorian? If not, get on it. (laughs) So it's so that you can begin receiving the weekly ponder prompts in your email. These ponder prompts are designed to help you liken the principles that we're learning in the Book of Mormon to your life, to help you improve your relationships, starting with yourself and then with God and others. And for clarification, these are designed to be in harmony with the current week's podcast episode. Also, when you sign up for Sister Scriptorians, you are the first to be notified of openings in my coaching program. Periodically, I do do a give back where I select someone to receive my services for free. So you'll be notified of those opportunities first as well. Remember, this is a 10-week one-on-one coaching program. And it's designed to help you improve satisfaction in your life again with our relationships. Relationships with God, ourselves, and others. It's basically taking the main principles that we have been discussing here for two years on the podcast and then more intimately applying them in our lives. And then just being wowed that it's true. Gospel principles can and do uplevel our lives. Also, I'm looking at starting a group coaching program pretty soon. Cost-wise, it's a little less But you do receive the added benefit of being able to hear others coached and to be able to work together as a group. So those are some of the options that I have going on through Sister Scriptorians. There are some others that I haven't quite fleshed out yet, so I'm not going to get too excited and talk about those before it's time. But I do always offer these first to the Sister Scriptorians community. So take some time, go to sisterscriptorians.com and sign up today. Today, I'm excited to spend a few minutes with you in the book of Omni, looking at verses 12 through 30. I felt a special excitement as I have studied these verses, and I've tried my best to place myself in this moment of time with the Nephites, 
and perhaps it's the contrast from what I saw in last week's reading, that make these 18 verses special. Quickly, I'll just remind you that last week, as the Nephites began neglecting, noticing the Lord's tender mercies, as the writers forgot the purpose of the small plates, that they were to persuade the people to come unto Christ, not just to preserve a genealogy, but these plates were to contain the sacred teachings and prophesyings amongst the people. And finally, as the people forgot the power behind their choice and their desires in their life, their life shifted. Let me first explain what I mean as in forgetting about the power behind their choice and their desire. When we have someone who is forcing us or threatening us into action, and we do it, we aren't choosing with power. We aren't making a committed change. We're being fearful, and we're avoiding consequences that might make us uncomfortable. We see this in our kids. We can threaten them, and it may work for a second. It might even work for two. But our job has actually become more difficult. Have you noticed that as a parent? Because the next time you use it, you're going to have to up the ante a little bit in order to be able to motivate them in the same way versus them just choosing because either this is how they want to be or it's becoming a part of their value system. And I believe that this was the dynamic happening between the people and the prophets, especially during the first 11 verses of Omni. And what I mean as far as life shifting for them, I mean that confusion arose. Anger caused dissension. The Lamanites are continually coming against them to war. New light and knowledge, it must have dried up because no one, none of the writers were knowing about it. And a division began to happen among them. And at one point, the more wicked Nephites were destroyed by the Lamanites because of the judgments of God. All of this history, hundreds of years worth, was summed up in only 26 verses. And the record actually passed through five men. Last week, I just felt a sense of spiraling. But this week, it's different. The record was passed down to a Malachi. And I see another shift occur. He shifts us back in the right direction. And the underlining message of Amalekai is, Come unto Christ. Amalekai writes the course by remembering the tender mercies of the Lord, remembering the purpose of the plates, and showing us the power that we have in our choice, especially when it comes to the covenant with God, which we learned about last week. The Lord's word will be verified. So when he says, keep my commandments and ye shall prosper in the land, let's have that work for our good. Shall we? And it can work in your life. If you are in need of a shift, if you are feeling confusion or an absence of light, if you feel like things could be better, try making the same shift that Amalekai did for us. He brought the light back to the reader. This was a part of the ponder prompt last week. Remember the Lord's tender mercies. Remember your purpose. And then have power in your choice. Commit to what you choose. 
Amalekai exhorts all men to come unto God. He tells us, believe in prophesying. Believe in revelations. Believe in ministering of angels. I wish he would have given us more on this about why he chose that to list. And he also says, believe in the gift of speaking with tongues and believe in all things which are good because all good comes from the Lord. Amalekai then in verse 26 in his own words basically testifies of the doctrine of Christ, which remember is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then endure. Amalekai says, come unto Christ and partake of his salvation and power of his redemption. He asks us to offer our whole souls as an offering to him. He encourages us to continue in fasting and prayer and endure to the end. If we find ourselves in this sphere doing these things, Amalekai testifies, as the Lord liveth, ye shall be saved. Out of this short but powerful teaching of this Book of Mormon writer, the part that sticks out to me is the line, Come unto him and offer your whole soul as an offering unto him. What does that look like? Keep that in mind as we look at the story of the Nephites that Amalekai preserved for us and see if that question can be answered for you. Amalekai said that he was born in the days of Mosiah. So let's get to know Messiah. In searching through the Book of Mormon and trying to guesstimate around what year this may have all been happening, I think a conservative range might be around 240 to 200 BC. So that is 360 to 400 years after Lehi left Jerusalem. That's a huge hunk of time. And we know us humans, we can change a lot in a very short amount of time. So what's happening for the Nephites at this point? It's not good. Hundreds of years of war and little shifts that were taking them further and further away from he who had preserved them had brought them to the point in which another separation was now required in order to be able to continue to preserve this branch of Israel. Enter Mosiah. He was warned by the Lord to flee out of the land of Nephi. And again, there is that descriptive word, flee. I don't think this was a casual parting of ways, but that it was a flee, an escape to preserve one's life. The Lord knew what was ahead for the Nephites who remained, so he told Mosiah to take all those who would hearken unto the voice of the Lord and to depart out of the land and into the wilderness. Can you imagine? This was your land of inheritance. Named after the legendary ancestor and prophet Nephi. If you were following Mosiah, you most likely love Nephi. And I can only imagine that it would have felt like giving up or surrendering to the wicked that had filled the land, that you were giving that land to them. And so you had to make a choice. The Lord wasn't going to prosper 
the existence of the people there any longer. And your desire is to come unto Christ. And so you followed Mosiah. No doubt there was heartbreak in this group. Not only leaving the land, but loved ones, I'm sure, were left behind. No doubt. Sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around something new, like going towards something new and unknown. Because though our conditions might not be ideal, well, at least we know what they are. There's security in knowing the familiar, right? You know what you need to put up with. You already know that hard. But hopefully all of us would have been part of that group who chose Christ anyways. And by them leaving, they were coming unto Christ. They were exercising their faith in prophesying, And in Revelation, because that is what they were led by as they traveled in the wilderness. And Malachi says that they were admonished continually by the word of God, and they were led by the power of his arm. The people had to submit themselves, didn't they? They had to offer their whole souls as an offering to him. They gave up what they knew, their land, perhaps their loved ones, And they said, I choose thee, and I choose all of thee. They had to trust that he knew better. They had to trust in his characteristics, in his reality. They had to trust that his ways were the ways. And that meant traveling for a while into the unknown. God knows how to choose good leaders. And Mosiah, he was a good leader and a man of God, and eventually they were led exactly to where they needed to be, but I'm sure it wasn't what they were expecting. They were led to an entirely new civilization. These people were not Lamanites, and they were not one of the groups of Nephites who had already dissented. Yet, these people were from Jerusalem. They too had also crossed the waters and had been led to the land of promise. But they were not of Lehi's seed. They called themselves the people of Zarahemla. The people of Zarahemla came out from Jerusalem at the time that Zedekiah, king of Judah, was carried away captive into Babylon. Now, Amalekai doesn't give us this detail, but it's found later in the Book of Mormon, in Mosiah chapter 25, verse 2 that the people of Zarahemla were actually descendants of a man named Mulek. And it isn't even until later in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Helaman, in chapter 8, verse 21, that the prophet Nephi tells us who Mulek is. He was a son of King Zedekiah. The same king that had ruled Jerusalem, remember, when Lehi had left. This king had been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. Somehow, Mulek escaped the slaughter of Zedekiah's sons and was led to the promised land. And that's all we know. We don't know the character of Mulek or who was a part of his group. What we do know is that when the party of Mosiah met the Mulekites or the people of Zarahemla, they couldn't understand one another. 
It had been around 400 years since both groups had departed, and there were some differences. Their language was now different. But also, the people of Zarahemla had lost their knowledge of God, all the way to the point that they denied the being of their Creator. And these were blessings that came to the seed of Lehi because Nephi and his brother sacrificed, pushed through their fear, pushed through the hard, and went back and got the brass plates. Because in doing so, not only the word of God was preserved, but his priesthood among them was as well. Now, I don't know why the Mulekites were dealt what appears to be a huge disadvantage when compared to the Lehites. Except for the knowledge that we have, that Lehi, he desired to come unto Christ. I wonder if Mulek did as well. Or if he was fleeing for his life and the Lord preserved him. I don't know. And really anything else said would just be speculating. But it is interesting. It's an interesting exercise in looking at the workings of the Lord to ponder whether or not the Lord was prospering the Mulekites as well as the Nephites. It would be easy to make a case that he wasn't. They were without a record, like the brass plates. Their language had become corrupted. They had had many wars and contentions among themselves, which, you know, isn't much different than the Nephites and the Lamanites. And the knowledge of God had not been preserved. But then you recall the scripture spoken by the prophet Lehi in 2 Nephi chapter 1, verse 6. None will come unto this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Which then prompts me to try and see him in the details of the Mulekite's life. He too had brought the people of Zarahemla out from Jerusalem. He had brought them across the ocean. He grew them in numbers. He protected them from other nations. He blessed them with the ability to grow a civilization that had survived for a few hundred years now. They were even able to build a city, the city of Zarahemla, that could accommodate the Nephite refugees that had just come into them. And though they had had many wars and contentions among themselves, I'm impressed with their humility towards Mosiah and his group. When Mosiah conversed with the people of Zarahemla, they rejoiced because the Lord had brought the people of Mosiah unto them. They rejoiced exceedingly because Mosiah had the plates of brass, which was the record of the Jews. They embraced the people of Mosiah, submitting themselves to be taught the language of the Nephites. Isn't that impressive? And they made Mosiah their king, even though there were more of them. But they honored and respected what he represented, and they made him their king. The fruits of the Spirit and the attributes of the Lord, I can see, still remained with them. Otherwise, I don't see how any of that would have happened. They were golden. One of those golden investigators, right? They had been prepared, and they had been preserved for this time. That is the incredible workings of the God that we worship, of his timing. If they weren't a prepared people at the beginning, which we don't know, they had become one. And their humility in being taught by Mosiah and the brass plates is the humility needed in order to offer one's whole soul 
as an offering to Christ. They saw their errors, and they accepted the better way. They saw their brethren that they didn't even know they had. They saw their brethren in need, and they not only provided, but they treasured what their brethren had to offer them. It's also interesting to note about the people of Zarahemla that they are the glue between another ancient civilization and the Nephites. This civilization existed north of Zarahemla, and they found out about the Jaredite nation when the lone surviving Jaredite wandered into their midst, which is another blessing that they received from the Lord, that they were protected from other nations, just like the blessing that the Nephites had also received. So the Jaredite that wandered into their midst, his name was Coriantumr, and the people of Zarahemla, they also welcomed him in, and he lived with them, the scriptures say, for nine moons before he died. A record of his people will later be found, written on stone, and will be translated by King Mosiah because he had the gift and power of God to interpret their language, and that was preserved for us in the Book of Mormon. It sort of makes sense that for the first time in the Book of Mormon, we are being told by Amalekai to believe in the gift of tongues. Mosiah obviously used this gift of God to not only understand the Mulekites, but to also translate the ancient Jaredite record. This time period must have been mind-blowing for everyone. And absolutely, the gift of tongues would have made a huge impression on this generation but especially on those who desired to come unto Christ because they did believe and because they offered their whole souls as an offering to him, they were saved from destruction, led to another people and were connected in a profound way to their past. Now, I don't know what it is about human nature, When we're told not to look, we desire to look. And I think this is an example that we can put into that category. Remember the Lord told the people to flee from the land of Nephi, which means nothing good is going to happen there? Otherwise, he would have kept them there. He would have helped them hang on in some way, right? But after the death of Mosiah... His good son, Benjamin, became king. And during this time, a couple of significant events are preserved in these short verses of Amalekai. First, the Lamanites discovered them and came against them to war. But the important thing is that King Benjamin was able to drive them out of the land of Zarahemla and to reestablish peace. And speaking of King Benjamin, the next event that occurred is The plates were filled up and then were given to Benjamin for safekeeping. He was a just man, and Amalekai, because he had no seed of his own, knew this would be a good place, a safe place, for the records to be kept. And why didn't Amalekai just pass the record to a sibling like Amaron had done with Chemish? Did you notice I looked that up? So last week I said his name Chemish. It's Chemish. Well, Amalekai's brother had departed out of the land to return to the land of Nephi. Though he was a part of the second expedition 
which we know at least made it to the land of Nephi. Amalekai didn't know at this point, and he left this life not knowing if his brother was okay. But there had been a first group that had the desire to return to the land of their inheritance. The leader of this first group was a strong, mighty, and stiff-necked man who caused a contention while traveling. And this contention was deadly, killing the entire party except for 50 of them. Because of this disaster, they returned again to the land of Zarahemla. They didn't have the numbers in order to be able to go up against what they needed to. But when they went back to the land of Zarahemla, they gathered up a considerable size of people and they took their journey into the wilderness again. And Amalekai may not have known what happened to his brother, but we fortunately do. Or at least we know what happened to this group. And we'll study that more in the coming weeks. But a record was kept by a man named Zenith, and it begins in Mosiah 9. Isn't that cool? So here's what I'd like you to ponder on today. Compare and contrast in your mind the examples we have here of those who desired to come unto Christ. We have the example between the progression of the Nephites compared to the Lamanites and compared to the Mulekites. We have the examples of the group of Mosiah being led by the Lord through the wilderness, receiving the word by prophesying and revelations continually, and then the group that desired to go back to what the Lord took them away from. The first expedition of this, sec- of this group ended in a bloodbath. The second was also difficult. Zenith admits that they were slow to remember their God, that they experienced famine and sore afflictions. And when they did get to the land, where were their brethren? Where were the Nephites who did not desire to come unto Christ, who were not numbered with those who desired to hearken unto the voice of the Lord and flee with Mosiah? I don't know. The Lamanites now possessed the land. It was the Lamanite king that Zenith negotiated with to cultivate a portion of that land, to repair the buildings and work the ground once more. To me, that sounds eerie. And a very visual example of the Lord's word will be verified. So before we end, how can we liken this unto ourselves? Foolishly, I think we sometimes feel that it is a sacrifice to follow God, to do things the Lord's way, to submit to his admonishings, and to receive revelation from him. No doubt, there were some in the group of Mosiah who considered the need to leave their homes as a hardship a sacrifice. No doubt there were some who felt to assimilate with the Mulekites was a hardship and a sacrifice. No doubt that there were some Mulekites who didn't want to make room for the Nephites, that that was asking too much and was too hard, too much of a sacrifice. The reality was each of these groups had been led to something better, not because they were brilliant but because they were humble and offered their whole soul as an offering to him, saying, I will follow thee. I'll do what thou would do. I'll be what thou would be. I'll trust thee and believe thee. 
Life is full of opportunities to come unto Christ and to do it His way and not your way. Perhaps you can get so good at this that it does become your way. There are people in my life who I love to watch and learn from because they don't appear to have this inner battle or conflict of selecting his way because it has become their way. It's how they operate. So I know it's possible. This week, take something from your life and ask yourself, how can I come unto Christ? And in doing so, what would it look like for me to offer my soul as an offering to him? Remember these examples that we've talked about today. How by doing so, everyone we spoke of who chose to come unto him were always led to a better place eventually. God is a God of miracles and he is a creator of all that is good. Those are the tender mercies that Amalekai preserved for us with love. That is my message for you today. Sister Scriptorians, come unto Christ, the Holy One of Israel. Partake of His salvation and the power of His redemption. How can you offer your whole soul to Him? Which area of your life could improve eventually because of your choice to come unto Christ? Remember to pray, consider fasting, and endure. As the Lord liveth, ye will be saved. Make today a great day.